the way I see it, the problem with a lot of the approaches in the longevity space is the, a lot of the tactics are geared toward taking these really fancy supplements or these really fancy IV, NAD, IV, resveratrol, and also these kind of obscure health practices. In my view, they're neglecting the idea that really small, really minute changes in our daily habits can completely alter the course of our longevity. Welcome to Gut Check Radio, the health and wellness podcast giving you the confidence to trust in your gut. I'm your host, Dr. Nick Belden, a board certified chiropractic physician and functional medicine practitioner. And just for those of you who are aware, the contents of this podcast are for educational purposes only and are not intended to diagnose or treat any condition and do not apply any of this information you hear in this podcast without first speaking with your physician. What's up, GCR listeners? Welcome back. It's Dr. Nick again, and we got a, a fun one for you today. This has to be by far one of my favorite titles <laughs> to ever write down. And this was actually a presentation that I first did in graduate school. And then I was given the opportunity to speak to a group of members at our a fitness studio a couple blocks down from us. It's actually the owner, um, Margarita, has actually been a prior podcast guest before. That was a really, really fun podcast. And the whole point of the talk was really based around longevity. But longevity is kind of, it, it's, it can be sort of vague. And there's just so many things coming out now in terms of all these, you know, take this for your cellular aging and whatnot and everything. But it, so this talk, I really got to update the talk I did about five years ago in graduate school. And I really got to update it on the latest things we know from a, you know, metabolic and cardiovascular health that can, to me, are two of the most impactful things on our overall longevity or, you know, how long we live. But it's just not about how long we live. It's about how well we live long. So there's really this, this dichotomy between health span or excuse me, lifespan, like the absolute amount of time you live, but then also health span. Do you have good quality of life, good energy, good sleep, good libido, good relationships? You know, all these other things we know are so impactful on our health that also play into how long we live and how well we live long. So this was a really cool presentation that I got to do. If you're interested in learning more about the whole idea of longevity, I have so many people I recommend. Um, Dr. Peter Tia is probably one of my, I call him my clinical spirit animals. I've learned so much from him in the realm of longevity, and he's probably the one of the foremost experts in terms of clinical care for just the aspect of longevity. And this was a really fun talk to give. And, you know, the title I know is, is, is pretty funny. And the whole point of the title is just to really, like I talked about earlier, sort of bridge the gap between, you know, there's some people that talk about, you know, you shouldn't eat protein or you shouldn't work out too much because that'll stunt your longevity. And it's like, that's cool. But then you'll probably be cold, libido-less and hungry all the time. So there's really, there's this, there's this inflection point we have to find when talking about having good quality of life and some people are like oh, alcohol, this and that. And then if you having a drink a week, you know, makes you live a year longer, sometimes it's, that's worth it. And then or it makes you live a year shorter, excuse me. So there's all these questions. So this really, this talk is all covering the, the basics and really the higher level strategy and overviews of how do we think about longevity when it comes to energy production, cardiovascular and metabolic risk. And we, I talk a lot about lab work. In this and with a lot of our people, we use a, a wellness blood panel that gives them a biological age score based on their blood work, essentially answering the question of how old is your blood? <laughs> it's always cool to see that stacked up in comparison to your chronological age. And then we also measure a lot of markers and molecules that could be contributing favorably or not so favorably toward your quote unquote longevity. Without further ado, let's get in to my talk. So anytime this is, I gave this 
a similar rendition of this presentation when I was in graduate school. And I always sort of ponder this question. And I just think, who really, when you see that title, who doesn't want either of those two things to happen? And, you know, there's really, there's two kinds of people who, maybe if you're listening to this, there's someone who says, you know, hey, Dr. Nick, I don't care how long I live. I just want to enjoy every moment of my, of my life. So I just want to drink alcohol all the time, or I just want to engage in these very dopa, dopaminergic, hedonistic activities all the time, just to have pleasure 24 seven. And as fun as that sounds, that's probably not a fantastic way to live our life. I don't or like that word. there's the, the opposite end of the spectrum of, you know, I don't want to take part in any pleasureful activity ever. I essentially want to be the most stoic human on the planet <laughs> and I want to live to be 150, but I want to be cold and libido-less. And I, I don't think anybody in here wants that. So if you want either of those two approaches, this talk isn't for you. But if you're like me and you want to be able to find a sweet spot between what we like to call health span, which is how well you live, but also lifespan, how long you live, then hopefully you'll be able to pick up a thing or two out of this. And really the, and the way I see it, the problem with a lot of the approaches in the longevity space is the, a lot of the tactics are geared toward taking these really fancy supplements or these really fancy IV, NAD, IV, resveratrol. And also these kind of obscure health practices, like some people taking ayahuasca or some people protein fasting for their entire life. And I'll, in my view, they're neglecting the idea that really small, really minute changes in our daily habits can completely alter the course of our longevity instead of doing these really fancy tactics. And how do we know that small changes can actually make a difference? Does anybody know what that is? It's a seashell. It is. It is also the oldest living organism or was on the planet. So a seashell is a thumb or is the size of our thumb. And this was called Ming the clam. I guess clams and seashells are sort okay. of in the same family. But it was one of the oldest living species on planet Earth. And I find that so fascinating because it's just, A, I didn't really understand. I guess I forgot that they're actually animate. They're living things. And what was also funny was that, so it lived to be 507. And the reason it died was because of the way the researchers were handling it. It froze to death. So while they were studying it, they killed it. So it could have lived even longer than 507. <laughs> I thought that was, that was so interesting. But does that mean that only small needles or small things move the needle? Not really. This is a bowhead whale. And they can live to be over 200 years old. And they're said to be the longest living mammal. So you have this, you have quite this dichotomy between one of the tiniest organisms, size of our thumb on the planet, and one of the biggest that have sort of won the lottery in terms of the longevity game. And if you really sit back and think about what is it that these organisms or species are doing that allows them to live so long, and at its most simplistic level, it's that. It's their ability to repair their bodies faster than their ability to accumulate damage, whether it's from cellular DNA or from inflammatory processes or oxidative stress. They have this incredible ability to repair their own body. And speaking of damage control, a little bit about me. <laughs> so, you know, I, 
I always find it so funny that, you know, who better to speak on longevity than a newly married millennial? I, I have I have all this experience. You know, I've, I've lived such this incredible lengthy life that I'm just the perfect person to talk about longevity. <laughs> You're like the youngest one out of all of us. I, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So I should be getting the, the wisdom and the experience and, and knowledge from you all. You all should be the one teaching me all the, all the ways to live. <laughs> And, you know, really, a, it, for me, it was a small change in my daily routine that precipitated a career change from corporate finance and the business ride the corporate hierarchy ladder to opening up my own practice with my wife and ultimately doing all things health, wellness, longevity related. And a lot of people ponder the question, what makes a good life? That's a, that's a very good question. And you could spend your entire life pondering that question. But I spend almost as much, if not more time, thinking about how can I maximize the amount of time and the quality of the time that I can ponder that question, if that makes sense. So it's it's the ability to both have health span, how long, or the quality of my time, and lifespan, how long I can have it. So I, I, want, I want to ponder that question forever. I mean, even on my last breath, I want to be like, huh, what makes a good life? And last little bit about me. You know, whoever said blondes have more fun obviously was not referring to people with blonde birthmarks. So if you if you ever see me walking around the complex, which I do a lot, and it's summertime, you'll easily be able to spot me because I'm the one with the obnoxiously blonde birthmark in the back of my head. And the first part here, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the key factors to look at when we are assessing lifespan or how long do we want to live. When we're trying to assess lifespan, the first thing I like to understand is what are the the number one causes of death, because those are obviously the number one things that are influencing our ability to live. And I want you all to think about for a second, what were the top causes of death a hundred years ago? Does anybody have any ideas or thoughts about what they, what they would have been 10 decades ago, a century? Um, Famine or leprosy. Like disease. Yeah. Yeah, those are all good guesses. Yes, yeah, so disease infections were actually at the very top. So things like influenza, pneumonia, tuberculosis were the the main killers in our society. And that is where, or that's why antibiotics have been one of the most profound advances in the history of medicine, because it has allowed those diseases to be, to fall much further down the, the pyramid of top causes of death. And if you even think back 200 years ago, Death during pregnancy was actually one of the top causes of death in America. And obviously, you know, 200 years ago, it's hard to assess record keeping and actually keeping up with all the statistics. But, you know, it's called maternal mortality was was really high and probably partially because of not a lot of diagnostic tools for things like gestational diabetes or preeclampsia. And also because if you got an infection during pregnancy, there was just nothing we could do to treat it. You just had to sort of wait its course of time. But currently, from top to bottom, that's one, two, three, four. So, and and sort of what what these diseases have in common. What we're really here going to focus on numbers one and four because they're very cardiovascular and neurodegenerative disease because they're very intimately related to happening in our our blood vessels. But does anyone have any guesses or ideas why the script? 
script was flipped and cardiovascular disease, which used to be maybe like the 20th is now the first. Our nutrition and lifestyle. Mm, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a large driver of it. Yeah. Cause if you think about what's changed in the last hundred years, our DNA hasn't really changed that much. I mean, it takes our DNA thousands and thousands of years to evolve, but what has evolved is our environment and the environment in which our DNA has been placed in. These are sort of the, the number or the top two things that we are trying to go after when we are assessing somebody's risk for cardiovascular disease is number one, your metabolic health. Metabolic health is a term that has been thrown around um, a lot recently, but it has a lot of weight behind it. Your insulin sensitivity, do you have regular blood sugar? And we'll, we'll unpack all the, all that with more nuance here in a second. And you know, chronic stress is another term that's thrown around a lot. And that could mean anything from psychological stress of work, personal life relationships, or it could mean stress from subacute or sub it's called subclinical infections or inflammation from our nutritional and lifestyle habits. And what's, what's very, I say the word cool, but it's, it's not really cool because we're dealing with the topic of what's contributing to mortality. But what is really cool is we currently have a lot of diagnostic, which means the ability to assess for disease and therapeutic, which means the ability to actually treat disease for evaluating the number one cause of mortality. And that's heart disease. So we have a lot of knowledge, research, and tools at our, in our toolkit to be able to help this out. And we're going to focus, I'm going to focus on the top for now. So metabolic health, like I just talked about some of the markers that we ran as a part of this challenge are included in that top portion. So we looked at fasting glucose levels. We looked at your hemoglobin A1C, which is an av a three month average of your glucose. So it gives us more of a longer term trend at what's going on. And we can do a really good job tracking metabolic health over time because, you know, cardiovascular disease occurs inside the bloodstream. And when we get your blood levels, when we, when you go to LabCorp, and you got your blood work done, they literally got it from your bloodstream. <laughs> so it's not like, you know, whereas the disease like cancer is far more complex in our ability to evaluate for it. And I'm by no means, I'm the furthest thing from a cancer expert, but it's, and there, there is becoming some really cool tools to get um, certain types of blood testing things for cancer detection, but that's way beyond the scope of of my knowledge in this presentation, but it's just really cool that we can use lab work, basic lab work to get a really good assessment of our metabolic health. And for those of you who have the handout that are the outline associated with this, there's a, a really good discussion in there about how the conventional LDL cholesterol is bad. HDL cholesterol is good, actually needs to sort of be thrown on its head. I had um, a physiology teacher in graduate school say cholesterol isn't good or bad. It just is. Huh. What does that mean? That's a great question. It means that it's there for a reason. And mm -hmm. a lot of times, if your blood levels of LDL cholesterol are elevated, it's elevated for a reason. It's almost as if the, the body is responding to an event going on. It's doing exactly what it was supposed to do. Hmm. And in, in the, the outline, there's a discussion on you know, what's becoming more popular to measure as opposed to your LDL cholesterol is your LDL particle size. And the analogy I like to use for that is if you can think about, you know, say you want to go to your favorite restaurant and it's in downtown Phoenix and you know, you have to get on the 10. So you're like, dang it, might as well check the traffic. 
that when we're checking traffic, do we care how many cars are on the road or how many people are in the cars? How many cars are on the road? Exactly. So knowing that, does it make any sense to test for how many people are on the highway? Does that tell us anything? Tells us a little bit, but like you all just said, it's how many cars are on the road. So when, when we measure LDL particles, we're measuring how many cars are on the road. But when we're measuring LDL cholesterol, we're essentially measuring how many people are on the highway. And we don't know if there's, you know, there could be buses carrying hundreds of people. So it, there could be a lot of people, but there's not a lot of particles. So it might not be that big of a deal or everybody's driving their own car. So there's a ton of particles and not a lot of people. And the reason we didn't, we didn't do it as a part of this is because that gets very nuanced. And then that requires a lot more information to unpack and a lot more time and everything, but it, it's still the, the basic lipid panel still gives us a lot of good information about our metabolic health. Sorry, that was a mini tangent. <laughs> that was, I know that was a lot. So if anybody has questions or anything on that part, please feel free to interrupt me and we can unpack a little bit of that. And then the, the bottom portion, so we talked about chronic stress. The, those are all the things, and some of these are sort of, they're very non-traditional. So things like heavy metals and environmental pollutants we know are around, but you know, you go to your average doctor, they're not really going to test you for them because they're going to say, ah, it's not that big of a deal. But we actually have pretty interesting data that shows that chronic exposure to heavy metal like lead could actually contribute to chronic stress and inflammation that could have implications for our overall longevity. And for those of you who had the the lab work, you'll notice that maybe part of what the the software spit out was a likelihood or a probability that you had exposure to heavy metals or environmental pollutants, or I don't think anybody had a probability of a bacterial or viral infection, but that's also something that it, that it could have done. All right. So I think the, these videos are super cool. So all the things we just talked about on the prior page, essentially what they're doing is they're damaging our endothelium. So the endothelium is going to be the layers of our blood vessels. So if you can see how there's three different layers that are peeled back, those are three different layers of endothelium. Endo just means inside and thelium just means the type of tissue it's made out of. And inside, this is a blood vessel and all these little red things are red blood cells. And all these little white things are actually molecules of cholesterol. And so what I like to tell people is the bloodstream, our blood vessels are sort of like a water hose. So when everything is working and functioning well, water is coming out exactly as it should. But if we have chronic stress, inflammation, or poor metabolic health, what happens is we start to develop injury that ultimately leads to blood clots within the arterial walls or the blood vessels. And so what you can see there is there are red blood cells and there's cholesterol and something damaged that yellow part is damaged. That could have been cigarette smoke. It could have been heavy metals. It could have been blood sugar issues. And what that looks like on the inside is that big old thing right there. That's a clot. And that's literally like putting a giant kink in a water hose. So really what, what you're seeing there, especially in this part right here is you're seeing more damage than repair. Whereas if you have blood vessels like this, you obviously have the repair process as far out weighing the damage process. And there's 
There's lots of more advanced type of testing. And some of you may have even done this before for cardiovascular and heart health. There's something called a CT angiogram or even a coronary artery calcium score. Is it really fancy? It's We don't need to worry too much about it, but it's just, you know, for the purposes of this talk, we're focusing on just that basic blood chemistry that we did, but it's basic, but it's also very cost-effective and can still tell us a lot of cool information. And part of that cool information that you all who did the lab work may have found is you got a marker, something called your pheno age. And essentially what that told us is how old your blood is. So obviously you have your chronological age, how old you are on paper. But what we like to care more about is how old your insides are. And by running that basic blood chemistry, we can take a few of those markers and you can run it through an algorithm and it'll spit out a nice little pheno age or how old the inside of your blood is. So this is mine on the screen here. And it's really cool because you can start to track it over time and really start to notice the separation between your chronological age and your pheno age. And in, in a completely fun and optimal world, you would see, you know, your chronological age go up as your pheno age goes down. Obviously, it's always not that easy. And especially as, as we do get older, sometimes it is more challenging to keep that space between them as far as possible. And there's even, um, there's this idea now of blood transfusions, of giving young blood to older adults is a tactic that some people are using in the longevity space to try and improve their internal age, but it is non-FDA approved and the FDA actually approved that it's not very effective, but nonetheless, there's still some people who will take an idea and see hope and try to run with it. Can I ask you a question? Yes, ma'am. What about, um, does this have anything to do with diabetics, diabetes, especially um, number one? Num when you say number one, um, well, only because diabetics are one or two, right? Diabetes one or diabetes two? Oh, oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Um, so there's, you have type two diabetes is type two. Yeah. Yeah. Type yeah. One and type two. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. So it definitely does. So a couple of the markers that they run for assessing diabetes and your metabolic health is your fasting glucose. And that marker plays a factor in here. And also your hemoglobin A1C, which that's actually what people use to diagnose type 2 diabetes if that marker gets above, I think, 6.4 is what's considered the diabetic range. So it definitely plays a, a very large factor. I would say, if anything, it's probably the one that most contributes to what I've seen where people's blood age is similar to their chronological age is when they have issues with their metabolic health. Yeah. But great question. So would you say that numbers in order, like a good number is about 10 years younger? Yeah, that's another great question. I That is a pretty good start mm -hmm. and that's a good barometer. But what I also think is just as important as to track the difference over time. And if over time the difference is getting closer, say you get it once and it's 10 years and the next year you get it run and the difference is only five years, it goes, oh, I did something in my health practices that doesn't seem to be that beneficial for me or the opposite, or you got it originally, it's 10 years. And next time you get it, it's 15 year difference. You go, Oh man, man, I was, I was really killing it at that time. Right. I was crushing it around that time period. Gotcha. Okay. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Okay. 
and this still isn't perfect though. You know, we always tell the people we work with and we really stress the idea that how you feel is always more important than what a lab says. But especially as we talk about longevity, the, does anyone know the number one symptom of a heart attack? Your left arm going numb. No, it, uh, that's a, that's a great guess. I think that's two or three. Number one is actually uh, sudden, maybe sudden. your, your jaw. Mm, I see where you're going. I like those. So it actually is sudden death. Oh, so that that's the idea that it's really hard to feel like once you feel the numbness in your arm, it's sort of already like, happening. Oh, yeah. Wow. So it's really hard to feel <clears throat> process that like you don't feel this, which is yeah. where lab work becomes really important. But for assessing what we're about to get into, energy levels, digestion, sleep, how you feel is obviously a really big factor. Hopefully that didn't sound that didn't sound too tomb and gloom. And the reason that we dive or dove, excuse me, so much into that and we care so much about that is if you know what contributes to the diseases of aging, so poor metabolic health, chronic stress, inflammation, you can then start to develop behaviors within your lifestyle, nutrition, sleep, stress management to delay them. From ever happening again all about shifting that equation as far left as possible while mitigating behaviors and things in our life that are going to make large-scale shifts to the right all right so we we dove, dove pretty deep down lifespan now we're talking about health span because again it's who cares if you live to 150 if you have no libido no energy and you never enjoy any bite of food you eat i mean that that's probably yeah. not a way any one of us want to do it so we also want to be able to maximize lifespan, how long we live, while maximizing our health span or how well we live. And for the purposes of this talk between identifying your purpose and your why, and then what the meditation coach has talked about, that is a, is a really good foundation for psychological and mental health. So our work here is going to be more steered toward assessing aspects of your physical health. Obviously, they're both incredibly intertwined, but the lab work probably does the best job at assessing physical health compared to psychological health, which is a little harder to measure. And we could talk about each one of these categories of the physical health bucket ad nauseum. But for now, we're just going to focus on the one area of physical health we most often see that takes away from someone's ability to live well. And that's energy. I mean, that is of all of the main complaints for which people have when they come see me or and inevitably someone has some degree of, Hey, I, I don't have as much energy as I would like. I'm fatigued. I don't function. I don't have the mental clarity. I don't have the mental sharpness. So it, it is all some derivative of energy that they're trying to optimize here. And there's so many different strategies you could employ, but these three here are what we find are the, the biggest bang for your buck. So it, it's the lowest hanging fruit and it's the things that you have in very, or you have a lot of control over these things. I mean, especially the first one with essentially nutritional side of things, you have near a hundred percent control of what goes inside of your mouth. So then you can develop a strategy around nutrition that prioritizes getting the macros, carbs, fats, and proteins, the micros, the vitamins, and the minerals around creating boundless energy or what we like to tell people. And also, you know, we talked about heavy metals or lead contributing to potential 
damage within the blood vessels, but also they can contribute to our mitochondria's ability to make energy. So we also want to try and develop tactics that can minimize our exposure and maximize detoxification from these heavy metals and these environmental chemicals because they're, you know, as it would be really fun to say we'd all just go live in a cave somewhere and totally just get rid of all of our exposure to these chemicals. But then that's not a good way to live in today's society. So thankfully, there's still a lot of you know basic tactics that you can do that aren't a fancy supplement or a fancy detox kit that help you detoxify. And one of the big ones is that third one. So sleep hygiene, you know, if there was any hack, people are always talking about what's the hack? What's the one thing I can do right now? What I see in a lot of people I work with is, man, if you just invested like 20, 30 minutes in a pre-bed routine and 10, 15 minutes getting sunlight exposure in the morning, those practices will go such a long way toward creating better sleep hygiene. And then once, if you have sleep as your most solid foundation, I feel like you're just that much more likely to make better decisions and everything else in your life. Like if you're sleeping eight hours, you're probably more likely to make better nutritional decisions. You're probably more likely to want to exercise versus I had a friend, this is, he, he's a type one diabetic, meaning that he needs insulin. I thought I was very conscious about my health and I met him and I thought, wow, I don't, I don't do anything right. So I idolized him for the longest time because he was always so adamant with his nutrition. He was also dialed in with his exercise. And then I come to find out six months ago that he was sleeping three hours a night for years. <laughs> and I was like, dude, what? And he said, yeah, that's why I was so dialed in with my nutrition because I was only sleeping three hours a night, which mm. I, I don't, I would never recommend anyone do that. If any, if anything, I, I would recommend the opposite of like, hey, if you get your sleep hygiene pretty well dialed in, then you have a little bit more wiggle room in the, the rest of your other big rocks of nutrition, movement, and all that stuff. I just can't turn my brain off at night, and I don't sleep well. Ah. Mm. That's well, the, same with, thinking. What, the same with my client. She she gets up at one in the morning, and she she thinks it's, I don't know what she thinks, but what a coincidence that she's type one and so's your friend. So I'm wondering if there's a, you know, a thing, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Insulin. So I, from what I've talked with him enough that part of the reason, and there's so many reasons that people could wake up, part of it could be related to either dips in blood sugar or elevations. And if you're a type one diabetic, sometimes your insulin pump doesn't respond to your glucose monitor. So then you don't secrete enough or you secrete too much insulin. And so, yeah, that's, that is a whole different ball game to try and manage. Right. Yeah. But really when you're, you know, when you're doing these three things, what are you really doing? Then we've already mentioned the slide a couple of times. You are getting, changing your biological age. Yes. Essentially you're doing that. So really, if you, if you take away nothing from today, if you take away absolutely nothing, take away one thing. Take away this equation and that if if you really want to live to be 100 and look good naked, it is all about maximizing the left side of that equation, your body's ability to repair and minimizing the right side of the equation. And part of the assessing in this equation, for those of you who had the lab work done and then you had it put through the software, you got a probability. So I think there was a few people in here who had things related to B vitamin insufficiency and B vitamins are very heavily linked 
toward energy production and also detoxification. Now, that is not me saying to go that everyone should be taking supplemental B vitamins. That If there's one supplement that I see people take too much of all the time, it's B12. It's almost like everyone thinks they should be where, like my mom, she had almost B12 toxicity because she was taking too much B12 for, for years at a time. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, we're a big fan of the food first approach to nutrition and that if you're eating the right foods that, that should take care of, you know, 90, 95% of your nutritional needs. And obviously there are instances where it's okay to supplement. And then the bottom part here, these really fancy names are environmental chemicals. So part of that blood software system also ran through, Hey, is there any likelihood that you have exposure to heavy metals, to environmental chemicals? And my number one piece of advice to people who have any sort of, or they're worried about heavy metals, or they're worried about environmental chemicals is filter your water bar none. And I'd like to tell people filter, filter your water. Oh, because if you think about it, you, you drink more weight and like, if you're drinking close to a gallon of water a day, or even three fourths of a gallon, you're drinking more weight in water than you're eating weight of food in a day. So when people focus so heavily on organic grass fed fruits and vegetables while neglecting their water, I always tell people, look, if you're going to make any investment in your health, invest in a decent water filter because that's most of the stuff you're ingesting each day comes from water. So it, it just makes sense that you're more likely to be exposing yourself to potential heavy metals or environmental chemicals from the water. And in the outline, I think there's a resource where we, you can actually check what the, the levels of heavy metals in the municipal water supply you live in. So I think it's in the resources bottom part. It's called the environmental working group. And it's, it's a free thing. You click on it and you can type in your zip code and it'll tell you how much lead, how much arsenic, how much BPA, which is the chemical that's made of plastic is in the water. I think you can buy to like kits like online if you really want to like test it yourself. Oh. Um, but if you, uh, when we put our water purifier, the company came, you know, it's one of their sale thing. Mm-hmm. They come and test your water before they put a purifier and tell you like all the stuff is in there. And then they'll come and retest it after you put the system and show you where, you know, um, where you at. So mm, it's mm. interesting though. I, I totally agree. Yeah. And it, yeah, that is a good sales tactic. I, I can see why they, why they implement <laughs> that. And the bottom results, these are actually mine when I was in graduate school and was very interesting was at the time I wasn't filtering my water. And then after I started to, these numbers went down to like the thirties and forties. I went, huh. And I, I just, I thought on that a couple of nights ago. I'm like, that's very interesting. So if you don't have a water purifier, what about bottled water? Yes, no? That is a great question. I know that there are sources of bottled water that claim to do a better filtration process than others. And also what I tell people is if if you only have a bottled water occasionally, that's fine. But if you're drinking bottled water all the time, I would maybe check in with yourself and see if it's feasible to get a water filter. Again, if you're having like a water bottle every couple of days or even one a day, I'm not that as concerned as if your only source of water during the day 
is coming from bottled water. Why is that? Part of it is because when bottled water companies filter their water, they actually don't add any minerals back in. And Ooh. their filtration standards, I'm getting a little up outside my pay grade here, are a little different. So they have to meet. So the FDA has a certain amount of parts per million that you can't have in your water. And it's it's kind of mm -hmm. high. And so there's some people that say, hey, even if you meet the FDA guidelines, like low level consumption of these long term probably doesn't have any health benefits versus if a lot of the the newer water filters like that you can buy offline do a very good job of getting it down to like negligible parts per million. Hmm. Yeah, the life is strange. It is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so you buy the 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 thing that you have your water in so you don't use plastic because you want to not use plastic mm -hmm. and that good water. I mean, it just, I don't get it. I don't know. Say that last part one more time. The, when you buy the container, the, the thing that you get your water, like the, uh, well, you can go fill up your water and not use plastic water bottles. Mm -hmm. So that isn't good water. No, it is good water. Sorry. I, I'm, I think I misspoke earlier, depending on the water filter you get. Like if it's a, uh, if it's a, a Berkey versus a, a, what's the, what's the really popular one? Like all the companies that give you the container. Mulligan man. <laughs> no, that's old. Yeah. <laughs> he's still around. He's still he? around. I haven't seen yeah, him he's lately. Still around. <laughs> if you can get a, a water filtration system in your house, ideally, that would be the best because, and I know I don't want to take it all over this conversation, the water, but uh, you also absorb a lot of these things through your skin. Mm -hmm. So it's not only the thing that you drink, but really like the water that we get in Arizona is reclaimed water. So what happened is all the water that they use in the fields where they put all the chemicals and pesticide, they clean it okay but they clean it just to be they put chlorine pretty much so you don't get bacteria but they don't take all of these um chemicals off and then people threw away so many medicine in their toilet and stuff so everything stays so if you don't get a, a water system in your home um not only is hard water and it ruins your you know like your your house and your pipes and thing, but it, you also absorb it through your skin. So bottom line, it's good. It's a good investment. Like we got it, ours about like $5,000 and I mean, it lasts for like 20 years. So when you think about it, we used to buy sparklet. It ended up to be a better investment. And I always drink water like this and it's filter and you know, you can get it alkaline. So I would recommend I think out of all the waters, it's better to drink your own water at home filter. Yeah, good. Yeah, okay. and that's a great point. And some people, like we talked about these probabilities, if you're detoxifying correctly, it shouldn't even be an issue for you because your body should be handling it, detoxifying it, and then excreting it. And that's where you know you can run the software. And if you didn't have a high probability, maybe maybe less of an issue. But I still think it's definitely a health practice that you should prioritize and even my fiance, my wife and i we got a berkey water filter i think it was 130 dollars, and i've looked at the data and it it filters out everything but then we add electrolytes back in but so there's 
all kinds of flavors of water filters. I like that. That was a good discussion. <laughs> all right. I think we only got one or two more, and then uh, I'll take too much more of you at y'all's evening. There's my Southern Virginia accent yes. coming out. <laughs> all right. And like I talked about in the beginning, it's not always just about what the labs and the objective data say. Your how you feel are more important to us. So that's why for some of you who, who did it, you probably also saw this little graphical chart here. And for those of you wondering, my gosh, this person looks really unhealthy. This was me in graduate school when I was under immense amounts of stress. <laughs> and I was I was trying to do everything I could. And um, yeah, I think this was from like 2019 for me. So emotionally, I think I was single. So that's also partially why that was so high. Definitely wasn't sleeping well, but this still... When you know when you combine this, like this will tell you part of how well your body is detoxifying. Because if you have really a lot of struggles with energy, that could be a sign that your body is holding on to and isn't detoxifying enough of the the heavy metals or the pollutants. If you're not pooping every day, I mean that's one of the number one ways that we get rid of them. So if you have a lot of digestive high bar graph, that's another indication. And then even sleep hygiene stuff, if that's sky high, that's another main way our brain detoxifies things. So in combination of this with the lab work, you can really start to get just a really full picture of where your current health is at. And you're probably wondering, why the heck is there a clock with a wrinkly hand over top of it? <laughs> so a reporter was interviewing a 102-year-old woman, and the reporter asked the woman, what's the secret to longevity, he asked. And the woman said, it's simple. The biggest cause of aging is stress. And the biggest cause of stress is arguing with people. So I never argue with anyone. The reporter laughed. That's ridiculous. That can't be the real reason. The old lady just smiled and nodded. You're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to learn more about the stuff that I talk about in general, you can go to my Instagram, you can check out my podcast, and you can also go to our website. And we have a free resources tab if you want to dive deeper down any of the specifics that we dove through today. And that was, stop sharing my screen here. Thank you, Nick. That was great information. Thank you. Yeah, I, I appreciate you all taking time out of your your Monday and tuning in. And like I said, that that outline, I tried to do a really good job of giving you resources where you can go rabbit hole yourself more and try to give it to you in a way that's digestible. Because sometimes I know I ramble and I talk really fast. It was good. So, it was very good. Yes, mm -hmm. thank you for your time. It was really good, very informative. And uh, remind me, I have some tips for you for your sleep at night. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was great. Um, I hope you guys, like week three of the challenge, got some great takeaway. You know, we all... Um, at things that we all need, uh, we all worry about more. Um, but it was great to see, you know, the blood work and all the great uh, things that you talk about today, you know, our metabolism, our, um, you know, stress related, cardiovascular. So what can we do to prevent damage and repair? So I hope that inspire you guys. I know you guys are pretty well, healthy. Great. Yeah, it was great. Thank yeah, you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I just want to know what what do you do with jowls? Jowls. Jowls. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have Only to... the three girls know what jowls are. 
Do you know what a jowl is? I don't know. <laughs> it's this thing right there. Right here. <laughs> like, How do you fix this? Uh, oh I was just about to ask him, like, what is that? <laughs> Thank you. Give me something to look for. By the way, you guys don't have it either. So I don't know what you were about. <laughs> Thank you. They are like, they are super, like when we teach, when we teach the class at 715, they keep me young. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I can tell you. So that's the secret. You come to the 715 Bell Fitness class and then you'll yeah. live to be 100 and look good yeah. naked. Yeah. <laughs> There's always laughing and dancing. And so. And I think if I can say one last thing, I think that is something that is so often under neglected in our health is laughing, dancing, loving, play. So if, if people had more play in their life, I think it would actually add a lot more years than any supplement or any fancy yeah. exercise. Yeah. Yep. yep. Well, keep it going, ladies. For sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> keep us laughing. We need it. Yeah, right. definitely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Any questions, so everybody? Everyone. No, that was great. I've got some, but I, I think I'll sit with doctor when I get there. Because I wrote notes, so, mm. you know. Yeah, and of course, if any of you want to go deeper in your results, have more questions, would like to book like a one-on-one -on -one consultation with Dr. Nick, reach out to him. And, yeah. you know, um, he's amazing. She was working with Dr. Yeah. Nick and really, really helped her. And yeah. uh, what, I, what I like about him is he's honest. He tell you the way it is. He doesn't try to like sell you a bunch of stuff that you don't need. Mm. Instead, actually try to get you out of all this stuff. Like I say, his mom was taking vitamin B12. She didn't need to, right? Um, so uh, that's why I wanted to bring him in into this challenge because it's, it's super knowledgeable. He spends so much time educating himself. And I think, unfortunately, um, a lot of doctors these days like, I mean, you know, med school, you go through a lot, but there is always new things coming out. And if you don't keep up with it, it's kind of hard to um, sometimes to see what's going on. And and most importantly, um, there's things that work uh, the same in our body, but we all different. So we yes. can always apply one recipe to all. So right. if you have anything that is going on with you that you like to privately talk to him or your concern and thing, um, you know, reach out to him and he's going to help you. He's wonderful. So thank you again. I appreciate All that. Right. Thank you much. Yeah, we thank do a free 15 minute discovery call. So if you want to know more, you can just go to our website or you can call our office and we can, we can get that schedule for you. Thank you all for trusting me to be a part of your day. If you enjoyed the show and found it informative or entertaining, we invite you to share the love by leaving a five-star rating or review on your podcast platform of choice or by sharing this episode with your family and friends. And until next time, trust in your gut.